This is Mainspring Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter. I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm Dr. Jenna Flowers, a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three. Welcome to Mainspring Family Wellness. We're really excited to have Richard Watts here today, author of Entitlemania. Can't wait to hear what Richard's going to share with us today. First of all, I'd love to hear, have our listeners hear a little bit about your book and the premise behind it and what led you to write it. Well, as my day job is different than writing. My day job is managing very wealthy families. Uh, and I don't manage their money, but I manage their lives. And so I really get an opportunity to see close up what happens uh, with wealth and what it does to families, what it does to the people that make it, what it does to marriages. Um, we've been doing this for 37 years, so I've been around every day uh, for a long time watching this. And uh, someone about 10 years ago said to me, you know, this is really an important topic for people to realize in, in as much as everyone seems to want to get rich. Mm. Is there a peril to getting wealthy? And I said, well, obviously there is, but no one seems to see it because it's well hidden Mm-hmm. from the public, uh, especially in these dynasty families. It's very well hidden. And so I wrote the first book, which was Fables of Fortune, What Rich People Have That You Don't Want. And uh, and one of the chapters in that was children of entitlement as one of the problems that occurs with wealth. And uh, when I was lecturing across the country and appearing on uh, programs and whatnot, that child of entitlement issue just popped for everybody. When I started talking, everybody wanted to hear about what is the effect? What are we doing with this child entitlement thing? It seems to be a big problem in our families. Mm-hmm. And entitlement how not to spoil your kids and what to do if you have, was really an outgrowth of Chapter 5 of the first book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it really it was intended to focus on what wealth can do to our children. But in the process of evaluating the entitlement issue, it became very clear to me that it, there was something people without money – can do Mm -hmm. to hurt their children. And that's not just what wealthy can do, which is give them everything. People without money can take away the struggle of their children and make it too easy because they don't want their kids to struggle or suffer. And that actually is probably the more egregious, the more difficult uh, contributor Mm -hmm. to the entitlement issue. And so hence Entitlemania, the book was written and here we are. Great. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. So, Richard, share with us some behaviors of parents that really help to foster entitlement. I, I think that the the primary thing, as I say in the book, is that parents um, parents begin to think of children as a hobby, as a destination, as an all-encompassing thing in their lives. They become very kid-centric yes. where it's just all about the kids. It's, it's amazing to watch uh, focus sometimes turn away from even the marriage mm. 
where the parents started out kind of in the same place, but now in evaluating their desire and their directions with the kids, they begin to create differences in their marriage because they have different designs on how to raise the kids, and they're so kid-centric that they want to enforce their position rather than say, hey, it's the marriage first. Mm -hmm. It's us first. Kids are guests in our home. So... What a horrible thought, but really and truly, you know, they're going to be there for 18 years and then they're gone. And the majority of your life you're going to have with this person. And, uh, and so this behavior, as you ask, uh, is really about not looking at the long-term benefits of the children. It's really about satisfying one's personal need to do as you feel you want to do, and you do it out of love, it you know, love is kind of like the drug because it hijacks your ability to think clearly to say, is it really loving my child to make it easy on them? Mm-hmm. Is it really loving my child to make sure that, you know, I pick their future in advance and make it easy for them to get to the destination that I as a parent want? Is, it, is that really the behavior that you're looking for in love? Or is love partly saying, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt me too. (laughs) This is not going to feel good for me. But I know in the end, it's going to be better for you, my child. Right. Love is also setting limits versus just the feeling of love and trying to keep your kids happy. Right. Or keep you happy. You know, sometimes you have to go in a room and scream. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to just go away and say, you know what? This is not what I thought parenting was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. This is actually like another job. And, and no one kind of wants to say that. No one wants to speak that out loud. But instead, what you do is you start to say, well, okay, well, if I'm not feeling good about how difficult this is, there must, the, that this is then there must be something I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. I must be – I need to find another way to, again, focus on my kids to make this easier on me. And I don't think you ever make it easier on you. I think that you ultimately just pick more and more things out of the air to try on your children. Uh, I watch my own three daughter-in-laws, two of them with kids. The third one, not yet, just got married. Um, and, and, and I see how difficult it is for them to shut the noise off of what the internet is telling them and mm. what all the – you know, following all the different mommy blogs are telling them it's like a full-time job to get it right. Mm-hmm. When the truth is, if you put your, you know, hands over your ears and you kind of went, na 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 na, close your eyes and say, I'm not going to listen to that, there's a lot of instinctive stuff that you come prepared with. You were raised yeah. a certain way and you kind of know what was right in your life and you know what was wrong. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you begin to forget what it is in your own life that that really was the tough stuff that taught you the most. Mm-hmm. And so the, the way that a good friend of mine, Bob Woodson, says it in Washington, D.C., he says, in giving our kids everything that we didn't have, sometimes we forget to give our, give our kids what we did have. Mm-hmm. And the did have is not always great. Mm-hmm. Did have was lonely, bullying, difficult times, rejection, loneliness, you know, being depressed once in a while maybe. How do you get through all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, you did, right? You're here. Yeah. And how are your kids going to learn that now? How are you going to teach your kids how to get through depression on their own? You, you know, you're going to assume it's your fault. 
Are you going to assume they need three or four different kinds of counselors to get out of that? Or are you going to tell them part of it is, you know, you'll get through this. This is, you know, you might need medication, you might need these things, but instead of letting it out of your hands, you know, when does the parent keep it in their hands and say, look it, I think I know best as a parent here, and I'm going to use my own skill to a great degree. And if I listen to anybody else, it's just going to be listening. It's not going to be acting on everything everybody says. Mm-hmm. So going back to the issue of kid-centric marriages, you know, how do you handle um, the issue of one parent enabling or overindulging, not being on the same page as, as the other parent? I know you talked, you had some stories that illustrated that in your book. Um, and we've also had a podcast as well yeah. on kid-centric marriages, too, because we think it's a real concern in Orange mm-hmm. County that there are so many well-intentioned parents that they're trying so hard, you know, to raise these, you know, superior children. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, it's often beca- yeah. but it's often because maybe of their own egos, and then they're, they're putting their marriages at second tier. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, marriages are not being well uh, cared for as a result, and then it's the fall, the fall down of the marriages. Yeah, marriages and themselves, yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say first is the, the thought or the term rules of engagement. Mm-hmm. When you get married and you start to have kids, I think there needs to be discussion. And if it takes a third party, if it takes a counselor that is willing to listen, I think a mom and dad, a husband and wife, need to create rules of engagement, which say, What is it that we really are looking for with our kids? What do we want our kids to look like and be like and act like? And do we want them to be guided and overly guided by us? Or are we going to agree that the kids are guests in our home? Mm -hmm. And are we going to realize that this marriage comes first no matter what? And we're going to say that out loud to our kids as they get older. You know, you're creating this and you're creating this, but you need to hear mom and dad come first. Mom and dad come first. Mom and dad come first. So my wife and I, Uh, did that. We talked about, we actually looked at other families that we thought at the time were models of what we wanted our family to look like. And then we talked to that mom and dad, mentoring. Mm -hmm. We talked to them. So what did you do? Well, we kicked them in the butt. We made it tough. I mean, they, you know, this little renegade, and you go, wow, you mean there was some real discipline going on? Oh, are you kidding? When he set the garage on fire and blah, blah, you know, all these things, you know, these these ideas that looking forward, there's some discussion, and they created rules of engagement. And so Debbie and I always knew what we wanted it to look like with our kids, and we wanted respectful kids. We wanted a close family. We wanted an independent family that the kids learned to find their passions. We created rules of engagement Mm -hmm. about what it was supposed to look like. And and then the other thing that goes with it, and I tell my kids this all the time, and now they're practicing it, and I'm so proud of them for this, and that is mom and dad need to come first means mom and dad need to go away and be together mm-hmm. regularly. Mm-hmm. So right from the beginning of our marriage, we took two weeks. Now, everybody can't do this, but we took two weeks off, summer and winter, for Debbie and I alone, and two weeks off for the family, summer and winter, with a family. Mm-hmm. So even when they were two years old and four years old and six years old, we were big skiers, then boarders. And we would go on a, you know, we couldn't afford much. And we went on the holidays we could afford. Mm-hmm. And Debbie and I would take a drive up the coast to Napa Valley and stay in some $35 a night hotels. And that's what we did. But every year, and we've never, we've never failed this, 
like a date night. Yeah, yeah. We have had a go away time. And I can tell you that when, you know, when it came to us being alone again, when the kids had all gone to college, um, it was it was amazing how much of an adjustment there still was, hmm. even though we had stayed very close. But I got back three days ago from spending eight days with my wife in Tahiti, just the two of us, because mm-hmm. we still do it. And I really love her. And I got my girlfriend back and we mm-hmm. sat, we, <laughs> we went snorkeling and we went diving and all that comes from a healthy approach in the beginning to setting a rule of engagement Mm -hmm. about what we want it to look like and then always putting mom and dad first, which is really not what's happening right now. Mm. Yeah. 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 What about the families that you talk about that, you know, um, are just not on the same page with the financial situation? You know, I, I noticed there was some stories of, you know, maybe a dad that gave the kid everything and the mom was upset about it. And I just imagine that causes a lot of marital strife. Yeah, it does. Um, and, and that gets – I get asked a lot about that. I talk about that polar parenting where you wind up where, you know, one wants to do and the other one doesn't. And because, as you said earlier, they get their egos involved, they almost are like in a boxing rink. And what it reminds me of, if you've ever watched a couple get divorced – it seems like a divorce while they're still living together because when you get divorced, you've got mommy living over here and daddy living over here, and one of them becomes the enabler. One becomes I'm going to give them everything, and the other one's a disciplinarian, mm-hmm. and they fight back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the kids get bounced back and forth between the two. But I got to tell you, uh, if again, if I was being candid with you, that the parent that is doing the enabling usually is is detrimental to the kids, maybe loving them. But they're the ones when the kids grow up always go, well, you know, dad kind of gave us everything and mom was the one that really stood tight on things. And there's this amazing kind of, well, we love dad, but we really respect mom. Mom mm. was the one that did it. You know, I saw yesterday about about an NFL player that just signed an $80 million contract. First thing he's doing is going back to buy mom a brand new house. <laughs> and he loves his mom. And when you see this big, burly, 350-pound guy talking – He's talking with respect about his mom, doesn't hardly even know his dad. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the one that is the disciplinarian, I say, should win out on the argument. I think tougher is better. Mm-hmm. I think more strict is better. Uh, and so when you have the argument appearing between the two, if I was counseling the two of them, I would say the more, you know, you can modify and compromise, but the more stringent is usually going to be better for the kids because I don't see a lot of kids that come from even really strict families that don't turn out pretty independent and pretty solid about what's right and what's wrong. The ones that come from a family that kind of gives them everything, usually there's that's, that's where they get in trouble. I think parenting research validates that as well, that there's authoritative parents that we ideally want to be, but authoritarian parents actually that are more strict and, you know, actually end up um, being more respected. They might not be liked by their children, but they are more respective, uh, respected as opposed to permissive parenting. So you, so you bring up with that comment, I think that is maybe a really big divider here in our discussion is that, you know, at some point you have to make a decision about whether you're going to be the best friend or you're going to be the parent. Mm-hmm. And I think the parenting often comes with an understanding between the children and yourself that you're going to make decisions while they're under 18, while you're the custodian of these kids. 
that they may not like. And I think that needs to be verbalized to the kids where you mm-hmm. say, you're not going to like what I do and I really don't care if you like me or not. Boy, I'd like to see a lot of parents today be able to get those words out of their mouth mm-hmm. because it's the last thing they want to say. I don't care if you like me or not. You know, They don't want to say that because they're afraid their kids might not like them. Right. And I'm saying, you know, it's healthy for your kids to have respect for you and know that you're making decisions because they always come back later on and they say, you know, mom, you know, dad, you were right about that. I, I didn't get it because kids are kids. You know, if they were, if they were adults, you'd let them go and they'd go off and at uh, six, seven, eight years old and live on their own. Mm-hmm. But they're really looking for you to make the tough decisions for them. Yes, yeah, so true. Okay, so Richard, what if you've already messed up though, and you've and you've spoiled the heck out of your kids? I mean, how do we undo this damage? Stop. Just stop. At any age. At any age. I've I've even got. I'll I'll tell you. I'll take you into the uh, into the absurd. Uh, we have a family we've represented for about twenty five, thirty years, which our families are quite well off. And they basically, you know, the kids got so wrecked in their 40s and their 50s, early 50s, that the mom finally said, dad's dead. And mom said, you know something? You are all going to inherit all of this money. I just decided you're going to get this amount, which was probably a tenth of what they thought they were going to get. None of these boys have worked. The girls have not worked. They've all been kind of trust babies. They've been unhappy. They've all had drug issues. Mm. You know, that's just the typical of what happens. So if I could show parents what the fallout is of this, that's what's coming for, for, all, for many of them. And if it's only one out of three, is that acceptable to you as a parent? Is that good enough? You got two that turned out okay with your money and one of them derailed and became a heroin addict. Are you okay? You know, you have to go to the least common yeah. denominator and work that out. But, I, you know, the, the parent uh, has been counseled by me forever. And finally, she said a couple of years ago, I'm done. These kids are worthless. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to put a, you know, a block. And she did. And she sat everybody down and I was there at the meeting and they were absolutely astounded. We're only going to get this amount of money. Do you realize that means we're going to have to go get a job? Mom, do you realize that means, you know, I don't know what's going to happen now. Okay, now here's an interesting thing. The one that was probably the most reckless contacted me about a year after, which is a year ago. And he said, I got to tell you something. He says, I didn't respect myself for a lot of years. Mm. He says, I'm really working hard now at managing what I've got, taking care of my house, the things that I've got. He says, I know it's coming to an end and I got to make some sense of it. And I'm only 50 some years old and, and I'm capable of doing a lot more than I'm doing. And he says, I've never really felt so good about myself. The youngest one came to me about two months ago and said, I want you to know that as a result of what mom did, I went back to school. He's in his late 40s. And he said, I'm actually at the top of my school class in a local university here. Mm -hmm. I'm scoring so well. I had no idea I was as smart as I am. I never got past high school. And I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to go do it. And I love engineering and I'm going to go do this. And he says, I'm just telling you, I used to take my fancy Porsche up in Newport Heights and I'd park up on the bluff and I'd cry because he said, I just couldn't believe that life could be so horrible. And I didn't know why it was horrible because I had everything. But it was horrible because I didn't have me. And he says, now I've got me. So the answer to your question is stop. Time to be a parent at 60 years old or 50 Mm -hmm. years old or 40 years old and begin to implement some of those same same issues. Hmm. 
What do you think are some of the elements of entitled proofing our kids? First of all, act like it yourself mm-hmm. as a parent. So you can't you can't always have instant gratification and teach delayed gratification. Yes. You can't have credit card bills that get you and your husband in arguments that you can't pay off and then expect your kids to be debt free. You know, when it comes to working for things, you know, the kids need to see that you could have a certain thing, but you choose not to have it. Mm-hmm. You actually keep yourself from having that pair of shoes and you verbalize that. You know, like my kids think I'm crazy because I'm a surfer and I've represented uh, in my career a very major well-known surfing legend who makes surfboards and he basically will make me a board anytime I want for nothing, <laughs> for nothing. And I've got two boards and I wanted to get – they wanted to do a third one and he and his son who's now taken over the company, there's never been a board made by the two of them. They said, we want to make you one, father and son for you because you're now taking over my son and my son is actually going to be taking over the company with that son mm-hmm. and we just want to thank you. And I said, you know something, I really appreciate it but I just – if I've got two boards and if I get a third board, it's going to give me option fatigue. And I'm not going to know which one to go. And so my sons are going, oh, my God, Dad, come take it. You know, it's worth two grand and it's like it's legendary. And I go, but, you know, sometimes it's just enough is enough. Mm. And you just – you got to not have everything that you want to have. And so, you know, I talked about that forever. I said, well, you know, maybe I'll get it. But I wouldn't know what color to have it because there's so many different colors and I like the pale yellow and I like the pale green. They're dead. For goodness sakes, just make a decision. But see, I was baiting even my boys in their 30s then. I was baiting them because I'm not going to get the board. And I want them to think that I'm delaying and delaying and delaying this whole thing. And then eventually I'm just not going to get it. And they're going to see and that's going to be a story for them that it's not always about getting the next thing. So part Mm -hmm. of this issue of entitlement and keeping your kids from entitle-proofing your kids is – Act like it yourself Hmm. because I think in doing some of these things for yourself, you'll actually begin to feel – you'll understand more of the process of what you need to give your kids. So if you're delaying gratification, well, mommy didn't take those pair of shoes and I know you want those but we're not doing that. That's not happening. You've got two pair of shoes. That's enough. Not ten pair of shoes. You've got two or three or whatever. And my daughter-in-law is just beautiful about that. She's got my three beautiful granddaughters. And, you know, everything they see, they want to have. And when mom thinks, okay, let me think, that's the seventh pair of shoes, but the neighbor goes to school and I know she's got 20 pair of shoes, I ought to just get it. It's kind of like saying, you know what? I'm not going to play in this league. Mm -hmm. I'm going to create my own league and I'm going to say my kids are going to have – Two pair of shoes and tennis shoes and flip-flops and that's it. Not seven pair of flip-flops. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set some rules and then I'm going to follow my own lead. Mm-hmm. And so part of that entitle proofing is learning yourself and then beginning to implement what you've taught yourself mm-hmm. to that's, your kids. That's good advice. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. We have such great information that we're going to go ahead and continue this podcast with a part two uh, with yourself. And so we want to thank you, the listener, for joining us today and also Gold Pacific Studios for having us and our sound engineer, Chow E and Dan Ballard. Mm-hmm.